Improve your storyline skills with our video training series at masterstoryline.com and use the discount code SLIDES31, all one word, to get 10% off the first year. In this episode, we talk with the one and only speaker, author, and award-winning e-learning designer, Tim Slade. Hey, Tim. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We are very happy to have you. And we're going to start at the beginning. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself? What led you into e-learning? How you came into this industry? And what interests you about e-learning? Oh, my gosh. That is a loaded... The floor is yours. (laughs) That's like five questions in one. Uh, Where do I begin? Well, um, gosh, I totally... I always tell this story about how I fell into e-learning. So I I fell into e-learning completely and utterly by accident. And um, gosh, this was like 10 years ago. I was working in retail loss prevention, uh, catching shoplifters. um, And a lot of people don't know what retail loss prevention is. I guess my job was to sit in the, the, the corner of a store and catch shoplifters all day. And I loved catching shoplifters. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, Can you, can you give us an example? How, How does that work? Oh, yeah. I mean, so you, I mean, the store has, you know, like 25 cameras and Uh you become like really, really good with like your um, directional awareness because you can be looking at the store at all sorts of different angles. And so, yeah, you just have these cameras and you can zoom in really, really super far with them and, and you watch people all day until somebody eventually shoplifts and then you, and then you stop them and, um, they get arrested and it's a whole lot. It's, 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 it's really just a, an, an, an adrenaline rush really. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did that for almost 10 years before I got into, uh, instructional design. In fact, I have a degree in criminal justice. I don't even, uh, have a degree in learning. I thought that catching shoplifters was going to be, um, uh, my gig, but then, you know, some, one day, uh, my boss came along and he said, Hey, you're really good at catching shoplifters. You should teach others how to catch shoplifters. And mm-hmm. it was kind of how I fell into learning and development is creating e-learning courses on how to catch shoplifters. And um, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. So what was the, like, what was your first tool that you came? Uh, uh, like development tool? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, uh, gosh, um, I remember uh, I was my very first e-learning course. I was tasked with creating. I was actually I had to create these series of five e-learning courses on how to, on how to catch a shoplifter. And uh, I remember my boss came by and she said, "Hey, there's this uh, art- articulate or art- articula program." I can't. You know, <laughs> she didn't know what it was, and it was at the time it was Articulate Studio, which um, was a PowerPoint-based tool. And yeah, that was my first introduction into e-learning was converting PowerPoint based content into, into e-learning. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and then I started using Storyline when that came out, I think in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Same here, same here. First uh, studio, then Storyline. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I was using multimedia, macromedia director. I, <laughs> I feel older now. I love it. Uh, I, whenever I talk to people in the industry, they're always like, gosh, I was back in the day when I was using, and then they insert some weird name that I've never heard of, and then I feel really good about my age. Um, <laughs> well, have you he- ever heard about uh, Macromedia Authorware? Now, that's oh, yeah. old school. That's the I, one people, yeah. See, I, see actually, ah, I did stuff in Authorware before Director. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> mm. 
whenever people say that, I'll be honest, they're like, oh, gosh, I was back in the days when I was using Arthurware or something like that. And I just nod like I have any idea what they're talking about. And I really don't. Um, but, yeah, I'm nodding now for you, David. It was not a very no enjoyable a... tool. No. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we have progressed. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have like a... Uh, like a goat, though, when someone, when the cops were taking some away, someone away, did you have like a really cool uh, phrase you always said? You know, some something's kind of cheesy, like, you'll never <laughs> oh, come yeah. back here again. <laughs> Crime doesn't pay. That'll be the last time you try to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crime. Yeah, just say no, right? Yeah, no, I didn't have a, a cheesy saying, um, but uh, no, I didn't have a cheesy saying. I just enjoyed catching <laughs> shoplifters. It was a lot of fun. Um, and it's funny, even today, uh, you know, after you catch shoplifters for years and years and years, you um, you kind of develop this, I don't know, like a sixth sense for when you observe somebody, I, I can tell whether or not they're going to shoplift or not just by observing them for a few minutes. And so even today, I'll, I'll be in a Target shopping and I'll be like, hmm, that person's <laughs> acting weird. And then I, it all comes back to me and then I start following around the store. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's. Uh, do you ever go up and just say, hey, hey, don't do it. Save yourself. Don't do no, it. No, no, my gosh, no, because you. As a, as a, when I was catching shoplifters, that's what you want people to do. You want them to steal it. I mean, right, I would, right. Always, I would get so, so you disappointed. go to the popcorn aisle and the chair aisle, and then you put the chair down and get the popcorn, and then you just watch them get yeah. arrested. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Have you gone back to your first e-learning course and looked back at it? Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Um, I use it actually. I use it quite frequently when I talk about. Do you? That's that's cool. Yeah, I talk, I use it when I talk about how to not design uh, <laughs> e-learning because <laughs> it was a really bad course at the time. I mean, I mean, it wasn't horrible. We used a lot of really. We actually did a lot of cool things. We 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 created some. Uh, it wasn't really interactive video, but it was video. We had these video scenarios where people had to watch somebody shoplift, um, and it was all shot from the perspective of actual cameras in a store. So it looked realistic to the learner, and then they had to didn't make a determination of whether or not they would stop that person or not. So it was kind of based in performance, but um, yeah, there, there were several times throughout the course where, you know, when I first got into e-learning, one of the things that was kind of beaten into my head was that you had to make it interactive for it to be engaging. And at the time, I guess I thought that meant just adding a button for the learner to click and reveal some content. And so it's full of all these like click to reveal, um, interactions which are fine but uh yeah if i were to go back and, and redo it uh, i'd probably do a lot of things differently yeah very cool so after you developed the, those those courses where had the e-learning path led you yeah so um i was working for um a large retailer and uh, doing e-learning out of wisconsin and um you know one of the things that i ran into before i before i even realized that most of the people in this industry fall into it completely by accident. Um, yep, yep. I, I had this kind of imposter syndrome of not knowing whether or not I would be successful in e-learning outside of loss prevention. The reason why that was was because when I was creating e-learning in the field of loss prevention, I was essentially my own subject matter expert. Um, and so I wasn't sure whether or not my ability 
or my talent for e-learning was attributed to me being a good e-learning designer, or was it simply because I happened to be uh, an expert in the subject matter that I was creating e-learning uh, mm-hmm. for? And so when I when I finally left that organization and I um, I started working for the state of Wisconsin as a e-learning project manager, it was um, at that point. I realized that it was actually going to be a real career path for me. Um, and it's it's funny because <laughs> that same year that I decided to make e-learning my, you know, I guess my new career path was the same year that I actually finished my degree in criminal justice. So, um, so yeah, I, I have a degree in criminal justice. I just don't use it at all. Um, but yeah, so then I left, uh, I was with the state of Wisconsin for gosh, a, a year and a half or so, and then um, and then started doing what I'm doing now, working within the industry and creating my own blog and speaking at conferences and, and doing all that cool stuff. So before you fell into developing the first course, mm-hmm. have you been interested in multimedia or, you know, have you messed around in Photoshop or something? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think about that actually frequently. Um I, so one of the things that I do, uh, I do this almost religiously is I, uh, I have a really <laughs> big archive saved, um, in the cloud on a Dropbox, uh, account of every piece of work I work I've ever worked on since even before I got into, uh, e-learning. And, um, I was going back through that and looking at when I applied for my very first learning um my first lnd job which was my title was training coordinator at the time um i came across i stumbled across this uh i'll call it a portfolio it really wasn't a port i don't know how to describe it it was this pamphlet i printed or i i I made i think using uh pages on my mac uh and i had it printed and it was kind of this like booklet about me and it was kind of I don't know it was like a it was like a a, a resume but multi pages and, and 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 it talked about how I would develop training for loss prevention it was really cool I guess it was kind of like a portfolio and uh, even back then I I think um, I don't think I had the language for defining what I was doing I mean nowadays I would say oh yeah I'm doing some print layout and graphic design and even mm. though I was aware of what those things were I didn't realize it was really what it was that I was doing and so while I think um, I've always had I guess the talent for multimedia development um, mm-hmm. I, I never really realized I was doing it uh, until I actually fell into this industry well and I, th- I think we see you know in, in your website and uh, the work you do uh, that graphics design is a big element of the experience, uh, and you do that well. You know, I think I know in e-learning, you know, oftentimes you have the instructional designer and you've got the graphics mm-hmm. designer, and we always feel that the best work is when those two work together. And if you know both of those things, that's that's a that's a good talent to have. Um, and uh, you know, I, I see you've certainly got a, a style, at least, that comes through from your website and your work um, of, you know, really putting those things together to create an experience. Sure. Um, it, do, do you, um, do you, have you ever taken any instructional design courses or graphics design courses? Or do you recommend that for people out there that might want to be an instructional designer or, or, or people that might be an instructional designer, but they kind of don't 
feel their graphics design skills are going to create a, a course or a module that is of the quality that they're looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, for me personally, um, I haven't taken any formal graphic design courses or, or lessons. I mean, the graphic design has been something that, um, I, I've naturally been able to enjoy experimenting with. I think a lot of people, um, realize they need to be better graphic designers or better visual designers, but it's not an innate interest of theirs. And so their motivation, uh, isn't, um, their motivation for becoming a better graphic designer is is not really intrinsic, if you will, right? So my motivation for being a graphic designer, I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of it. So I've never, uh, not 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 that that's the reason not to take a course, but I've I've been able to benefit from just uh, opening up the tools and seeing what I can create with them, right? Uh, if there's one thing I wish I would have done earlier in my career is I wish I would have taken a um, some sort of course or a class or something on the formal principles of instructional design. I mean, it was even, uh, gosh, three, four, maybe even five years. Uh, I was in this industry before I really started digging into the principles of adult learning and understanding the difference between, you know, knowledge-based learning versus performance-based learning. And I think, um, while I was implementing some of those uh, uh, methodologies in my content, I wasn't doing it, you know, intentionally or, or formally. And so I think, uh, like I was saying earlier, I think there's a lot of things I would have done differently with a lot of my early projects uh, had I had that language or, or an understanding of, of um, those techniques, if you will. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. And I think that probably plays a part of so many people that, do instructional design, but don't feel like they're instructional designers. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, I, for a long time in my career, I thought, you know, being an e-learning designer was something different from an instructional designer. I didn't really even consider them the same thing. And now, um, the way I look at it now is I, I still call myself an e-learning designer. Um, but when I look at my job as an e-learning designer, I see all of these, um, uh, types of design that are on the periphery of what I do. And so there's some graphic design and of course there's instructional design and there's user interface design. And those uh, are, I guess, different elements of design that I have to account for when I'm creating an e-learning course. And I think, you know, people who are instructional designers might think of e-learning as being on the periphery of what it is that they do. Um, and so I do think there is a difference between the two, but, but they are very closely connected. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, which kind of e-learning projects do you enjoy developing the most? So what's, what's the most fun project you, you get? What's, what's the one that, that gets you excited? Yeah, um, the projects that get me excited um, are the ones where uh, my client trusts me to um, do the best uh, with their content and gives me the creative freedom to... Mm-hmm bring that content to life on the screen in the way that I think is going to be the most effective. And so um, this doesn't happen. This happens less often than I would like, but uh, you know, the, the clients that I work with the best and the projects that I get most excited about are the ones where I have a lot of creative freedom in terms of how I bring that content to life on the screen, either visually or through the interactivity that I might design or program Um uh, to, to bring those behaviors and those concepts to life for the learner. So the, it's those projects where I have 
some creative control and freedom that really, I guess, engage me the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that answer shows that you like really trust yourself that uh, and you love what you do uh, and and trust in your knowledge of doing that because if they give you if you if you have free hands on how you're going to develop that that means it's uh, everything is on you you're you're the one responsible of how is this is going to turn out yeah absolutely and i think um when you can i've always believed that our roles as e-learning developers or instructional designers whether you're working on a freelance basis like I do, or you're working within a corporate organization, um, servicing an internal customer, either way, I think our job is not to be, um, I use the word subservient to our stakeholders, right? So we're not just fulfilling some task that they've mm -hmm. uh, given us, but we're, we're really partnering together, taking their subject matter expertise yeah. and then our ability uh, to make it... Um, transferable to adult learners it's it's really a partnership that happens there and so when that partnership is equal and there's trust involved um i think that that all around makes a a, a better end result so when you have uh freedom to do to do whatever on a project like that is it are you focusing on storyline or are you what's what are some other tools that you might be using in creating a course Sure. So, um, yeah, from an e-learning standpoint, I mean, my, my primary go-to will be Storyline, but I also have been doing a lot in Rise lately, um, which I'm finding to be, you know, if the content works for it, Rise can be a really powerful tool, even though, you know, you're not going to be able to create yeah. as intricate of, you know, interactions. But my other go-to tools that I use regularly, like I'm, I, I think daily, I'm usually in Adobe Illustrator, either editing mm -hmm. a graphic or creating a, a vector graphic. Um, I use that tool probably, um, as equally or even more often than I use Storyline. Um, I also use PowerPoint actually more often than I think people. Yeah. I don't know, themselves would think of PowerPoint as being a useful tool. I mean, even though I, you know, you can use Photoshop to do a lot of photo editing, most of the basic things like removing the background from an image, I'll just pop it open in PowerPoint and do it there. Um, I use Camtasia a lot. Uh, you know, I know how to use, you know, Adobe After Effects, but if I can create a simple motion graphic or explainer video in Camtasia, I'll just do it there since it's, it's just so much quicker and easier. So, mm. Um, yeah, anything I can use to create better looking content, um, uh, I'll use it. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, I think too, you probably run into this, Tim. It's, you know, before you sit down in storyline, you, you know, you, it's nice to have kind of a, an, uh, educational approach to something. And so, uh, sometimes when you just think storyline, you might develop, in kind of a slide, you know, let's develop so that it's in slides and I've got the next button. But if you think before that uh, about what might be a good workflow and approach, then mm -hmm. you can say, you know what, Rise would work well with that or Storyline or maybe yeah, I could yeah. do, st you know, because Storyline can do so many different types of things. Uh, you know, I could do that in Storyline, totally different than what someone would think of as a Storyline project. But, uh, or, or maybe those tools don't work at all um 
So, uh, although then you've got all sorts of other learning curves and other tools you need to look at, but yeah, I mean, I work, I, I work with clients frequently where they come to the table with, um, an idea in their mind of what tool you should be using. Mm -hmm. And for example, I, I'm working with a client and they wanted to create, um, this really complicated, uh, web interface to, to, you know, deliver some content, uh, and as we talked about what it is that they really wanted out of it, uh, we, we realized really all they wanted was a really beautiful document. And so if I were to have gone down the path of what they wanted, I probably would have had to, A, I may not have even been able to do it if, if I would have done it the way they wanted. And it would have required some, you know, custom web developer to put some stuff together in code. Um, but in the reality, once, once we talked them off of all of these things that, they really didn't need in in the delivery of this. It was just a PDF uh, of a really nice, <laughs> nicely formatted document. Um, we were able to find that, that that was a much simpler, easier solution. And a lot of times, clients just don't have. And I, I've said this a few times uh, so far uh, during this this podcast is they just don't have the language to explain what it is that they want, right? So if they could just say, "Yeah, I want you know, create a beautiful document in InDesign and make it a PDF that I can host on a website." They would say that, but they don't always have this, you know, the, the language for describing what it is that they ultimately want. Yeah. Okay, now, um, sit tight. We have a big question coming up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, th this one is re really, really, like, super broad, but uh, I think, every, like, every person we'll speak to might have a different answer. So this is this is it. What do you think is the most important thing about e-learning? Mm, the most important thing about e-learning? Uh, gosh, let me think about that for a minute. I think the most important thing about e-learning is, and I'll have to give a lot of explanation to this, but the most important thing about e-learning is if it's fit for function. So I think a lot of times in our industry, and I, you know, probably I'll think about this question after we finish today's podcast and I'll probably have thought up a much better answer. <laughs> I'm sure. But this is what, this is what comes we to purpose, me right. We purpose, we very, very much want it to be an incredibly vague question. Yeah. I think, I think it's super important that e-learning is fit for function. And I'm surprised, uh, you know, I, I used to work for uh, a gentleman named David Starr and, um, he is not in the industry of e-learning. He was actually a, com a computer engineer at Microsoft, and uh, he introduced me to all of these interesting engineering terms. And I'm, I, I find it fascinating that we don't use the term fit for function more frequently within mm -hmm. our industry. Um, and what I mean by fit for function is that so frequently within our industry, we... Uh, especially if you're an e-learning designer, we become really overzealous about what e-learning can do. And so oftentimes we will recommend e-learning as the solution for everything. And I guess there's a couple things wrong with that is that first, uh, you know, learning doesn't just happen. It's not just a single event. It's, it's a combination of a lot of events and experiences that learners go through. And so when we think about creating an e-learning course, uh, I don't, I don't think we do a good enough job thinking about well, what else has to, uh, what other experiences do we need to create in addition to that e-learning course to really support that learning outcome, whether it's a job aid or, 
you know, on-the-job practice or coaching uh, by a manager that needs to happen before or after the primary learning event. And then I think also a big part of our job when I talk about fit for function, a big part of our job as e-learning designers or instructional designers is actually talking our stakeholders out of learning or out of an e-learning course. Because, of course, a subject matter expert, if, if people aren't doing something that they want them doing, their their first instinct is go, well, if we train them, then they'll do it. Or if they know more, then they'll do more. And um, more often than not, I think a lot of the requests that we receive for learning, especially if you're an internal practitioner at an organization, many of those requests aren't learning issues at all. They're probably environmental issues or uh, motivational issues that can be fixed with um, some other solution outside of learning. And so I think the most important thing for e-learning is that it's fit for function and that you're you're building an e-learning course that's actually going to solve uh, or help to solve a performance issue. Very well put. I, I think you could Good say uh, like right tool for the right job, right? Yeah, the right tool for the right job. Absolutely. Yeah. You you can play like a little ding sound there, right, Nate? Like you got it correct. Correct yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. Ding. I'll, I'll have I'll have some fun in post. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that took everything <laughs> out of me to get that answer. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your how was your time at ATD 2019? You know, it was a really good conference. Um, I've only been to um, ATD's international conference uh, one other time a couple years ago in Denver. And so this year in D.C. was a lot of fun. Um, you know, everyone got to see everyone was there, you know, and everyone heard about Oprah talking and she was awesome. She was much taller than I expected her to be. Um, and she did actually a lot more talking than I anticipated. I, I thought it was just going to be a sit down Q&A for an hour, but she actually spent uh, uh, probably a good hour and a half just talking. It was it was that was awesome. Um, and then the conference itself was awesome. So I, I ended up um, doing three different sessions at the conference. I did a pre-conference on graphic design for non-graphic designers. Um, and then I did two um, hour-long concurrent sessions, one on creating engaging learning experiences through visual design, and then one uh, that I picked up last minute uh, last minute um, on mastering variables in Storyline. And so... Um, I was busy at the conference. Usually when I go to these conferences, I, um, in fact, I've only ever been to one conference where I wasn't speaking. And so when I go, I try to maximize my time and I'm usually always speaking. So it's, it's, I, I probably have a much different attendee experience yeah, than yeah. other people who are, who are just going there to attend. How has uh, your speaking at conferences uh, thing started? Yeah, um, you know, when I was, this was my, well, I, I have a whole, I can explain the whole story here. So um, back in 2012, when I was working at the um, state of Wisconsin as an e-learning project manager, I remember seeing a, a request uh, for speakers um, by the e-learning guild for their upcoming uh, 2013 or 2014 Learning Solutions Conference in Orlando. And I had previously attended Learning Solutions in 2010 when I was just starting to get into e-learning. And I remember going to the conference as an attendee and uh, I, went all, I went to all of these really great sessions at the time that were talking about, 
You know, the future of learning is going to be delivered on smart devices on our wrists or through special goggles that you'll wear on your face. And it was all of these really big, exciting, cool ideas. But the thing that I was most disappointed about, even though those were really cool to hear about, uh, I, as a in e-learning designer, none of it I could practically take back to me, back to my job and apply uh, to the projects I was actually working on. It wasn't practical information. And so when this proposal, request for proposal came around, um, I really wanted to submit for it because I wanted to provide practical information for folks like me who are new to new to e-learning. And that was the other thing that I, I observed when I went to my first e-learning conference was that most of the people in attendance were brand new to this industry. And so while stuff like virtual reality and e-learning on our wrists sounds really great, it's it's just not practical for for new e-learning designers. So I submitted my first my first conference uh, uh, presentation was uh, titled 10 things I learned my first year in e-learning. And um, and when I went and spoke that first time, I did a horrible job. It was an awful, awful, awful presentation. People liked it. They said they liked it, but I, I thought I did horribly. Um, and I've given that same talk probably three or four times since then. Um, but my, my general rule of thumb whenever I speak at conferences nowadays is that the information I provide has to be practical. It has to be something that people can walk away mm-hmm. uh, that day yeah. And apply to the projects that they're working on immediately. If it's not practical, um, then it's. I just don't think it's worth people's time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I concur. So, so from from that moment on, I mean, I, I guess you kept submitting uh, your your speeches, yeah. or were you invited? Uh, yeah, I do get. Um, I do get invited to a couple of conferences a year. So ATD does these core four conferences. I usually get invited to those. I'll be actually I got invited to go to South Africa in August to speak at a conference which will be oh, wow. pretty cool. But yeah, I speak at probably I don't know 3 to 4 conferences a year. Um and I think it's a I, you know, I I always recommend anybody submit and speak at a conference. Um I think it's a great opportunity to not only build credibility within the industry, but it's a great way to showcase your skills and build your network and um, and just share your knowledge with other people. It's been invaluable for me. So you're doing so you're doing a lot with presentations, uh, but you're also doing a lot of consulting, and uh, it seems like you're doing quite a lot of stuff. You've got your book out, mm-hmm. uh, the Learning Designers Handbook. Uh, w- so w- what are you doing now? Yeah, so um, I spent probably the past two and a half years working as the um, director of instructional design at GoDaddy here in the Phoenix area, and uh, I've been working probably since, I want to say 2012, um, always maintaining a number of you know freelance clients on the side for my nights and weekends, and so I've always had this long-term goal of, of freelancing full-time and um, I just made that leap um, earlier this year and at the, actually at the beginning of April. So it was like yesterday that I, I made the leap into my business full time. And I was, you know, it's been a long game that I've been working towards. And so one of the, I guess, 
I, I use the word strategy, even though that feels really inappropriate because I don't feel like it was strategic. I feel like it all just kind of happened. Um, but I'll, I'll use it for the sake of today. My strategy was to make sure that I had uh, uh, built up my business to not only make sure I have a strong brand, uh, a professional brand that's that's recognizable within the industry. And that's what you know part of the reason I, I speak at conferences is to help build that. Um, but also, you know, I, I didn't want to jump into f- straight into freelancing without having established a couple of different, uh, revenue streams, right? So yeah, I published, um, the e-learning designers handbook last year. And in addition to the, the freelancing doing custom development, I also do a lot of, um, uh, workshops, uh, teaching, uh, new e-learning designers, how to develop e-learning and how to use storyline and, and all of that good stuff. That's awesome. Seems like your uh, your hands are busy. Yes, I'm very busy. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I I can only imagine with you know with like regular projects uh, that bring money, then to work extra on books and and talks. Uh, I mean, I can relate a bit, you know, because of the podcast and the the courses that we're, that we're doing with David. So yeah, I mean, day only has twenty four hours, so you have to use them well. Yeah, when I was um, last year, when I was writing my book, uh, one of the things that I did actually, I I had first announced that I was writing my book, uh, and I it was in the September of twenty seventeen. So last year was twenty eighteen. Yeah, so the September of twenty seventeen, I had mentioned on LinkedIn that I was writing this book, the e-learning designers handbook. And, uh, the reality was the only thing that I had designed was the cover. Um, and it's, I have this really weird process. I actually, I, I think a lot of times people think, Oh, you design the cover at the very end, or you write the introduction at the end. And <laughs> no. I actually do it backwards. <laughs> like I, I designed the cover and the layout and the look and feel of the book because that ultimately becomes the inspiration to want to get it done. And that's because, I don't know, I'm a very visual person, I'm a tactical person, and so it allows me to envision in my mind what an end product might look like or feel like. And so I had, I had, I had announced that I was writing this book even though I had only designed a cover and I spent maybe an hour designing it. But I did that intentionally because I knew that if I if I announced it, then I had an obligation to actually yes. do it. <laughs> yeah, um, that was my and question. So I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I spent uh, gosh a month or two writing a couple chapters, and then I didn't touch it for like six months. And uh, probably in the spring, probably around this same time last year, um, I I realized I really needed to get it done. I really wanted to get it done, and I I ultimately ended up having to take a week off from work and and go lock myself in a hotel room to 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 write it uh, and get it done. And and yeah, you know, working a full-time job, uh, at the time I was a GoDaddy, I was managing 12 people all around the world. It you know, it it about killed me, but but it was it was very very much worth the the effort in the long run. I have I have one more question. Okay. What training practice do you think should be used more often? What training practice should be used more often? Like mm. in e-learning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, gosh, um, designing interactions that matter. Uh, you know, like I said at the, the top of the podcast, you know, when I was new to e-learning, 
Uh, and even nowadays, people talk so much about creating interactive e-learning and making it interactive. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can make e-learning interactive, but it doesn't mean that it's going to make that interaction meaningful to the learner. Uh, and so, you know, like when I designed my first e-learning course, I included a lot of click-to-reveal interactions. And um, it wasn't until years later did I really understand that, you know, the act of the learner clicking on a button to reveal content didn't really require any critical thinking skills on the part of the learner outside of their use of their mouse, right? And so, you know, just that simple concept there alone changed the way that I look at how I design interactive e-learning interactions and, and, and ensure that if the learner is going to take some sort of action on the screen, uh, that it that it's meaningful and it relates back to a behavior or skill or a decision mm-hmm. that they're actually going to have to make on the job. Yeah, so, so intentional interactions, not just something that we fill up the slides with. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay, fantastic, Tim. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, anyone can find me uh, on LinkedIn just by searching Tim Slade or going to timslade.com. Thank you, Tim. Uh, take care, and I hope we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you guys so much. It was great talking to Tim, and you can always find out more about Tim at timslade.com. We talked a bit about Storyline with Tim. Again, improve your Storyline skills with our video training series at masterstoryline.com and use the discount code SLIDES31, all one word, to get 10% off the first year. And don't forget to check out thelearningguys.com for show notes and other episodes. And you can always contact us through the form on the website. Take care, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Happy learning.